sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome to Ignition. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to set your faith ablaze so that you might live the adventure that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, or if you have ideas about or for future episodes, please contact us. The easiest way to do that is by email, and the address is jason.herrin. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm misreading. Ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, the address, ignition at sfcatholic.org. Jason Heron is the man sitting across the desk, table, whatever this is, from me in the studio. Hi, Jason. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Good to have you back. Um, Jason and I, Dr. Jason Heron and I, are going to be talking today about prayer and how about it is fundamentally not something that you do. Mm. How about that? Yeah, that's good. Prayer is, is, is our response to God's initiative. It's a gift that he gives to us. But we're going to be taking uh, looking at that from the specific perspective of a woman named Sister Ruth Burroughs, who OCD, which um, is not a government agency. Um, the Neither order, is it a disorder. It's, it's not a disorder. <laughs> it's not OCD. Oh, yeah. No, see, my head's so, so Catholic that I don't know. Um, she's a discalced Carmelite, so a member of a discalced Carmelite community. That's what and who we'll be talking about today, specifically a book of hers called The Essence of Prayer. If, if you've never listened to Ignition before, again, my name is Dr. Chris Bergwald. I'm the director of adult discipleship and evangelization with the Diocese of Sioux Falls, which is basically eastern South Dakota. The Missouri River bisects the state almost cleanly in half, and the Diocese of Sioux Falls is the eastern half of the state. I've been in the role, that role with the diocese since 2002, been in the role of husband to Jermaine since 1999. She's from Ohio. I'm from Central Minnesota, but all five of our kids are born and raised here in sunny Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Dr. Jason Heron, who are you? Well, I just realized I graduated high school in 1999, so you were busy starting a, a, a big person life. Yeah, a big, when and you graduated I was, high school, I, I just know, graduated. That. Uh, I'm uh, Jason Heron. I am married to Hannah. <clears throat> We've been married 18 years. We have six kids and a mother-in-law all in the house, three cats, and uh, I teach. A partridge in a pear tree? Uh, yeah. No. Soon. Okay. Uh, I'm saving up. You I teach? teach in the theology and philosophy department at Mount Marty University down in Yankton. We've lived there for three years. I'm starting my fourth year of teaching there. Great. Um, so you've been on the show many times. Last week, you answered the question, who's a Catholic that we should know? And we talked about Monsignor Father Luigi Giussani, an Italian priest uh, who died in 2005. Today, you're answering the question, what's a Catholic book that we should know? And you, again, you picked Sister Ruth's, Ruth, Ruth Burrow's book, The Essence of Prayer. Why did you pick this book? Um, well, I've read a lot of books like a good nerd, and... Is there any other kind? It's sort of uh, redundant. Yeah, it? true, 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 true. <laughs> um, and this this book, um, you know, when you read a lot of books, you, you maybe start to think, well, I'm just kind of, I don't know if this is going to have anything for me. Oh, sure, yeah. There's a stupid thought to have, but <clears throat> you have it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And this was recommended to me by a friend, and I picked it up, and I thought, well, I've, you know, I read books on prayer before, um, and like a classic 
a classic dummy. I was like, I know, I know what prayer is. And then I read this and I thought, I did I mean, you could look through this, Chris. I didn't even mark it up. No, you didn't. Which was a sign to me. Huh. I wasn't studying it. I was like, ah, uh... like I, oh, for example, I don't think it's wrong to write in your Bible. That's not what I'm saying, but yeah. I don't usually write in my Bible. I'm not treating it like a textbook or a, yep. you know, yep. an article I'm picking apart. I just sat and I just read it. You absorbed it. Um, and I wanted to share it with the listeners because um, the things that it helped me get over, hmm. I think are probably not that unique to me. And I think that it's a, a great resource for, for Christians who want to live a life of prayer, but are like many of us, a little unsure of what that what that means or how to do it. Also, it's cheap. <laughs> there it is, ladies and yeah. gentlemen. It's on Amazon. This is a book you should know because it's cheap. Yeah, it's really it's it potentially life changing, and it's maybe like eleven dollars. So. I can't believe you just recommended that I go to a, a, a multinational global conglomerate hey, to I buy did, this book. I didn't tell you where to buy it. So what you you said just a little bit ago, Jason, um, this book helped, I don't know, I might be, I had it and I've lost exactly what you said, but something like it helped me overcome some problems. Yeah. For instance. So I think the, the shortest way to say it is also the nerdiest way. I, I think I'm functionally a Pelagian. So, uh, I'm assuming I should explain it. Uh, (laughs) Good assumption, Dr. Harry. Pelagianism is a is a a deep and common and insidious human temptation to um, believe that you can work out your own goodness and your own salvation. Why why do you call this deep and insidious temptation common to the human person Pelagianism? It is named for um, a well-meaning but sorely mistaken man named Pelagius. But he uh, but but what if he was sincere? <laughs> Sincere. Yeah, he was sincere, uh, but he didn't listen to the voice of the people around the voices of the people around him. So uh, I, was was it he was it he British? He was a British um, monk, wasn't he? I think maybe. Yeah, I think maybe. a British monk. Um, what fifth century? Yeah, he got he got in Saint Augustine's crosshairs. <laughs> oh, he sure did. And uh, Saint Augustine um, tore him apart. Charitably, with love. Uh, sure. Uh, and so now, uh, so, th- so the battle was, uh, if you're a person who believes that Christ is Lord, um, are you completely dependent on God's grace for your salvation? Or is it possible that you could just kind of be a decent person and try pretty hard right. and kind of work it out on your own? Yeah. And Pelagius thought, yeah, that sounds right. There are some people, probably not everybody, but some people are really good and they can just kind of be saved because of their own efforts. And Saint, we now call St. Augustine the doctor of grace because he was not having it. <laughs> he, he, Anna. Yeah, he, he double, triple, and quadrupled down on, on grace and um, even got himself into some trouble. But... Um, yeah, in fighting, Pelagius uh, earned himself the title Doctor of Grace because of his emphasis on our total dependence on 
on God for God's help. And so when I say I'm a functional Pelagian, uh, I mean that the way I live my life uh, would make it seem that Pelagius is right, even though in my mind I know that he is wrong, or I believe that he is wrong. So the way I live my life is, uh, you know, I'm a firstborn. Um, I'm a breach, a middle middle America, middle of America sort of person. So mm-hmm. I just love to make people happy and please can't stand it if I've messed up. Amen. Um, and so uh, I'm obsessed with my ability to do things well and do them right and to please people and and there thereby gain their approval. Yep. And. Uh, Unsurprisingly, I have imagined my relationship to my creator in exactly the same way. You, you, you have to, you, yeah, you have to, you want him to be happy with you. You have to kind of, right. let's be honest. He's earn, kind of a, he's kind of a mean guy he, and I got to make him happy. Yeah. You got to earn his approval. Right. Right. Earn his love. Right. Even. And so Pelagius would have had, I think, a sophisticated <clears throat> version of this. And right. I have like a pathetic, like fourth graders <laughs> kind of version of this where I'm just like, well, if I, so this morning. I got up at six with the intention to read the readings for the day, sit silently for a half hour. And then I'm trying to get in better shape. So I wanted to, uh, we have a rowing machine. I was going to row. This was my plan for the morning. And after both those things and the kids would be up, we'd have breakfast, go to work, etc. And I got up, I read the readings, sat down in the basement and within seven minutes I was asleep <laughs> and I woke up an hour and a half later. <laughs> So my entire plan was destroyed by my exhaustion, uh, you know, just in the space of minutes. And I think that given my disposition, given my temptation of Pelagianism and, and just the way that I've imagined my relationship to my creator, uh, for a lot of my life, I would have, I wouldn't have been crippled with guilt. Not like I couldn't have lived, but I would have been like, man, I, I've, I've done something wrong to God. Yeah. I've hurt really God done something wrong to him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and God, if he's not angry, he's disappointed. Mm. He's frustrated. He's pulling his, <sighs> Jason, pulling his right, right, Jason, right. Jason, Jason, Jason. Right. And so after the influence of father Jasani for, for one from the previous episode, but also um, reading sister Burrow's book, I realized uh, this, this might be on me, this regret and guilt that I feel when I do something as simple as fall asleep while I'm praying, that's on me. That's not anything to do with the way God has structured the universe such that he's frustrated with humans who are tired. Right. So, uh, yeah, the, I think that, um, functional Pelagianism is fairly common. If not, I don't know that it's universal, but she really helped me with that. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Ignition. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, visiting today with Dr. Jason Heron of Mount Marty University about uh, answering the question. He's answering my question, what's a Catholic book that we should know? And the book that he chose is The Essence of Prayer by Sister Ruth Burroughs, B-U-R-R-O-W-S. And we're just talking there about how she has helped you, Jason, overcome this sort of idea that basically I have to earn God's approval, his love, his respect, and ugh, just disappoint him all the time when I fall asleep instead of um, checking the boxes on my prayer routine in the morning. Right, right. And so this is, 
maybe I don't even know what the word for it is. Um, I've always been like a decent guy. I didn't get in a ton of trouble in high school. Mm-hmm. I'm not much of a rebel. Uh, I have friends. They like me. <laughs> My wife likes me. My mother-in-law likes me. This is there a great, a great test. Um, so the things that I'm going to do to supposedly make God mad are not, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to knock over a bank or, right. you know, I'm not into <clears throat> like, so I'm just a decent average polite guy that is actually ripe for Pelagianism. Right. Don't, what kind of help do I actually need? Right. I'm good. I'm good. I, got I don't do all those things that all those other horrible right. people do. Sinners. And. And so what I'm left with is like, well, yeah, like I'm going to go pray. And then I fall asleep and I'm like, man, I'm a pretty bad guy. (laughs) And so it's just a ton of self-obsession. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Sister Burroughs, I think, is good medicine for those of us who are kind of obsessed with what we're doing and where we're at and examining our scrupulous. I'm scrupulous. Okay. And um, what does that mean? It means that I'm obsessed with my goodness and my badness, and I'm constantly reflecting on it, and that I am looking for badness even where it doesn't exist. Oh, yeah, that's a great answer. That's a great answer. So how did Sister Ruth help you overcome or in process maybe, or has she, are, are you, are you over it? Oh no, no, okay. no, for sure. Okay. For sure not. How is she helping you overcome your scrupulosity? I'm not over it and I feel terrible about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I think by just returning us to the portrait of the father that Jesus gives us again and again and again, she's just pushing us back there. And it's, I think, difficult to read, for example, the parable of the prodigal son and come away with the image of a God who's angry at you for falling oh. asleep. And Amen. That's very difficult Amen. to derive that image from that parable. So whom, I, whom am I listening to? <laughs> Jesus or some weird concoction from my disposition and my obsession with my problems and my scrupulosity? Can I ask a connection? Yeah, you can. Thank you. Um. Parable of the prodigal son. Sure. The older brother. I just am, I am the older brother. It's so unfair. He's been there his whole life. I am the older brother. Well, well, well I can understand why. It's it's just. Mm-hmm. But so so expand on, yeah. On the parable. What do you mean you're the older brother? What, what and 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 what's the issue there? Uh, the older brother. The older brother won't just let the father be the father. What does he make the father? He makes the father into a judge. He makes the father into the sort of father that can only congratulate certain types of behavior. He makes the father into um, (laughs) someone who keeps a record of wrongs, which is absolutely (laughs) contrary to uh, what we read about in Scripture. And so um, he makes the father into someone who's as obsessed with justice as he is. Mm. Um, And that's not to say that the father doesn't care about justice, but in the father, justice and mercy are one. And from our perspective, we're usually flip-flopping back and forth. Um, 
so I know, I understand that parable from the older brother's perspective, like a lot of Christians do. But of course, there are many Christians who understand it from the younger brother's perspective, right? It's one of the richest <clears throat> things that our Lord gave us, that parable. And so Sister Burroughs, I think, really helped me see. I don't know, I don't know that she even mentions that parable in here. That's not huh. what I'm saying. But um, she does return us to the scriptural portrait of the Father again and again and again. Uh, so she might she might refer to it. But she helped me see just how deep that sort of pharisaical older brother perspective, um, how deep that is in my in my spirit, okay. and how inappropriate it is, given the gifts I've been given by our Lord. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Ignition. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, talking today with Jason Heron, Dr. Jason Heron, about his answer to the question, what's a Catholic book that we should read? We're talking about Sister Ruth Burrow's book, The Essence of Prayer, sort of talked about how it's helped you overcome some misconceptions about the nature of prayer and the nature about yourself. What? How else has she helped you? Um, I think close, tightly related to re-examining what we think we're doing when we're praying. So we're somehow showing up to check in with God and make sure he's happy with us. Or, right. Um, yeah, do your time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> In addition to helping me overcome that idea, and in addition to helping me overcome my idea that I could maybe just be good enough on my own to earn my salvation, uh, closely related to those, she helped me understand uh, God as someone who's in no competition with me whatsoever. So if, if it is the case that I need to earn something from God, that means that he's withholding it until I give him what he wants. And so we're on either right. side of a, a table, like negotiating. Right. And, um, you know, Bishop Barron is, 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 is in love with this idea of non-competitive willing. Divine transcendence. Right. Right. And, and I think this is really helpful coming from sister Burroughs because the phrase non-competitive willing will shut some of us down. Just right. like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but, she it's it's all through this book in a practical plain way that there is no earning there is no competing there is no measuring up there um she gets delightfully simple about it and she says most of us think of god as having like a ledger with marks in it of all the good things and all the bad things we've ever done and um you know by asking me to give up on certain ideas of prayer and certain ideas about earning my salvation. Uh, she's ultimately asking me to give up some of the idols I've created. And so I'm confronted again with the father that Jesus introduces me to. And I'm confronted with this question. Well, do I want to stick with my idols mm. or take the risk on this God? Cause it seems a little bit too good to be true that he's really just not obsessed with with my badness, the way, the way I am. Right. Um, it's just, it's not his concern. It's not what he's focused on. So what you're saying is that he doesn't care if I sin. <laughs> he cares, but only because he loves me. Not because I'm, I think so here's the functional 
uh, intellectual distinction again. I've known for quite some time that God doesn't like get angry at me for sinning. Right. He's, I think, I, th- I still think he's impassable. Right. Uh, doesn't suffer. I've known that for quite some time, but I behave as though that's exactly what I have done to him. That I have somehow, I mean, I play all these games in my mind about negotiating. Well, I, you know, I did this wrong, so I'm going to have to pay God back that way. Or I'm, you know, this is, this can be one of our sort of pagan versions of what penance ought to be. You know, Mm. sort of like pay God back because you debited too much or something. Right. And um, so does God care about my sin? Yes, but he, I mean, he cares about my sin the way I care about my kids' stupid decisions. Amen. You know, I don't, when, so when I was a kid, I stuck a pipe cleaner in an electrical socket. My mom didn't beat me because there's a rule against sticking a pipe cleaner in an electrical socket. It's on the refrigerator, Jason. <laughs> right, right. How many times did right, it tell you? Right. Number 13. She just ran to me and made sure I was okay and tried to teach me, you know, you're, you're free to do it, but it's, it's not the best, is it? It doesn't feel so good. Right. So, um, I've known that, um, that way of speaking about the father's love for us for a long time. Right. That what he is doing is running to us and trying to care for us as we're destroying ourselves. Right. Right. But I don't, my interior, I'm just being maybe a little over personal for a podcast, but my interior life and the way that I live my life doesn't, doesn't make that evident that I believe that. So I have like an intellectual understanding and sister Ruth Burroughs has pushed me toward a more lived understanding that that is really, Jesus is serious. That's who the father is because in the parable of the, the lost son, he runs out to meet the son. He sees him from far away off. Right. Like an embarrassed, he should be embarrassed. It's all these cultural things in the parable. Speak to those though. He, the son has disrespected him, gone and blown his inheritance on hookers and blow in Vegas or whatever, you know, like he's really <laughs> done something. We think of it. We don't think of it. They use the word dissipation in a lot of translations. Yeah. It means, it means like going to Vegas and blowing it all in like one wild week. Yep. And then, and then he comes back and the neighbors are aware oh, of all oh, of this. And oh, here's the father running to this disrespectful, disheveled, starving son. Like, you know, that's a guy in love, like a guy in love. And I believe that with my mind, but I have trouble accepting that as a scrupulous person. That's true about how God sees you. Right. Yeah. And so I, (laughs) this, this might seem strange, but reading this book kind of prepared me for a very strange moment I had. You know the song, um, You Are So Beautiful? <clears throat> yes. Joe Cocker? Yes. Everyone knows this song. Every one of our listeners has heard this song 1,000 times. Me too. I've heard it over and over again. And I saw a video of him playing it live, singing it live. Um, and he was, when he sings, he just has the microphone and he's got a backing band, so he's doing nothing else with his hands. He's just singing. And for some reason, poor Joe Cocker had decided to wear like a tan shirt and he's kind of a bigger guy. And, and like he was, you know how he sings, he's just really putting it out there and he's just sweat 
everywhere. Yeah. Yep. And that voice is so raspy and rough. And he's just put. He's sang this song a million times, and he's just putting everything into it. And I just started crying while I was watching it. Mm. Mind you, this two thousandth time I've heard the song, <laughs> because I had the thought, this might be a better image of what God is like <laughs> than anything I've ever had. And I think Sister Ruth Burroughs kind of <clears throat> helped me get to that kind of place, right? I took Jesus seriously because if the father in the parable runs to the disrespectful, pathetic, dissipated son, then he is kind of like Joe Cocker, just sweating it out up there, belting it out for whoever Joe Cocker was singing it to Mm. that. You are the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I'm up here sweating it just disheveled and in love. And so I don't know that I could have seen that. Or had that thought, if it weren't for this book. So this book helped you overcome all that. That, that we talked about scrupulosity, this false idol, this false sense of who God is, um, and 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 as you said, I mean, it's not that you didn't know these things, you knew them cognitively, right? You knew them intellectually, notionally, notionally, but now you knew them. Uh I don't know my Newman well enough to. What's the other? I don't know. No. Either. Uh, in, I have in a more lived, a more functional, heart level lived experience of God's love for me. I think I believed God loved me, and now I'm arriving at like a, an experience of that. So as we're we're coming to the the end of the show, let's talk about some practicalities of the book. You already told us where to buy it. I mean, that place that shall not be named. Um, but, uh, is it is it a hard to read book? Is it a long book? No, it is. I'll tell you right now. About two hundred pages. Um, it was written in two thousand six, so it is not some like dated English or anything like yep. that. Um. It's a collection. Does she, does of she things. write with a British accent? Yes. <laughs> uh, maybe now and again you you okay. get that she's okay. British. Okay. Um, it's written. Uh, it's a collection of things that were published elsewhere. Okay. And so there's kind of like that magazine level of reading. Sure. So it's it's nothing that's gonna tax any. Average American okay. reader. Okay. Would it be helpful to, for the person who's not scrupulous? Would it be just as helpful? I believe so. Um, I believe so. She is interested in getting rid of idols and mm. misconceptions about prayer. Those are the idols and misconceptions I yes. was like working on. But it's not like she has a chapter on all of Jason's problems. Which, that's just how I. That's what, what, how she spoke to me. Gotcha. So I do think that it's relevant for yeah. more than me. Again, the book is "The Essence of Prayer" by Sister Ruth Burroughs, OCD. You can find it at your local Catholic bookseller or places like Barnes and Noble or Amazon.com. Dr. Jason Heron, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Chris. And that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org, with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.